Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Nikki Howell. She's an SLP at a small rural hospital in South Louisiana that is part of a large hospital system. She received her master's degree from New York University in 2009, where she received the valedictory certificate of distinction. Nikki has extensive experience in medical settings, including acute care, inpatient rehab, swing bed, skilled nursing facilities, and LTACs. She is active in the development of best practices and education of SLPs within hospital systems. Nikki has taught various courses at both the undergraduate and graduate levels. She has conducted research studies on attention deficits due to Parkinson's disease and has presented numerous times to clinicians, medical personnel, and research researchers on varied topics related to speech language and swallowing disorders within the adult population. Nikki is trained in multiple modalities for treating speech and swallowing disorders, including kinesio tape, myofascial release, vital stem, and vital stem plus. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. All right. Good afternoon, Nikki. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been looking forward to this. And Nikki and I were just chatting offline or before I hit record, actually. So she's been a member of the MetaSLP Collective for forever. And I've just known her name and I've seen her post. And it's so nice to actually, we're on Zoom. It's so nice to actually just see your face and get to meet you professionally. So thank you so much for joining. And she was our member of the month last week or last month was it because of an initiative that she started and I wanted her to come on and talk about it. So tell the people a little bit about yourself, Nikki. All right. Um, so 
Let's see. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, went to college there, and then decided I need to get far, far away for grad school, ended up at NYU. Um, and that's, um, I was convinced that I was only going to treat pediatrics. And I thought that like adults were disgusting. Like, why would anybody want to, you know, talk about puree and thicken liquids and all those things? And I had a, a supervisor actually laugh at me when I told her that I'd, that I'm, you know, only doing peed. She literally laughed in my face. And I was like, that's weird. She was like, no, your personality, like you are meant to be with adults. Um, and that's the first time I was like, really? Like me? I don't know. Well, it turns out she was right because once I, you know, dove into the grad school books and all the things and, um, I ended up getting my first job in New Orleans at Toro on a brain injury unit. And that just like absolutely absolutely made my love of speech therapy, like just turn into like the biggest nerd ever. Right. I was already pretty bad. Um, and then that just really <laughs> made me a super nerd. Um, so yeah, I was there and then I ended up leaving there. I started a private practice. Um, so I've kind of had my hands in a lot of different settings. I started a private practice, was not ready. It was a great learning experience, but like I was not good at taking money from people. They were literally paying me an apple pie, like no joke. Um, and then, so I it ended up in the nursing home world and the LTAC world. And then I moved to Mississippi where I surprisingly found like the best rehab hospital I've ever worked at. Shout out to Methodist Rehab, amazing, in Jackson, Mississippi. And I had a lot of turning points there that we'll probably talk about later. I um, was there for five years in patient rehab. It's my total jam. And then my husband was transferred to South Louisiana, and that's where I am now. Um, so I've, I've taught at the grad school level and the undergrad level. Oh, I guess I left out that part when I went back to school for my PhD. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Let's add that in. (laughs) That was important. Yeah. So I did go back to school. I ended up only doing the dissertation or, or doing everything except for the dissertation. I'm not, that's like a very long story. It was an awesome experience, but essentially I just realized that I needed to treat people the the academia world just wasn't for me and i knew that i wasn't going to get paid more to have yeah. my phd in the hospital so i essentially was just like i'm just going to cut my losses here um so that was kind of all all over the place but that's why i'm here in south louisiana working at a teeny tiny hospital like i mean teeny tiny um and but we're part of a really large hospital system gotcha all yeah. right so what are we going to talk about today? I think we're going to talk about the MBS education initiative yeah. that I started up that is actually completely transformed into something even bigger and better. Yay! So um, being that I work in a very small hospital, I began to flex to other hospitals within the system. And um, as I was flexing, I was noticing that there's a lot of inconsistencies between the facilities and one of the major goals that kept being preached at these like system meetings were that we need consistency between the facilities so that we can flex, right? For lots of like fiscal reasons, right? You want your employees to be able to go and like not call in PRN, like all those things. 
But there was just like so many inconsistencies between how the speech therapists were practicing, documenting, you know, what was like vital versus not. It was just, there was a lot. But one of the biggest things was modified barium swallow studies. And it was almost like as I would go to one facility, they would complain about uh, another facility and like the reports that they were getting and how they were doing their swallow studies. And, and so everywhere I went, it was kind of like a different view and it wasn't a happy view, right? It was just like inconsistent and like, well, maybe if we just talk about this, then we can like actually make some progress instead of just being like unhappy with how things are. So, and I mean, and I, th- I think part of the problem is when you do a swallow study, I, I'm guilty of this too. You think nobody is going to read the report, right? You just do like, I mean, that's just like part of, unfortunately, once you've been in the hospital world for so long, you're like so fast to write the report and you're like, nobody's going to read this because the nurses don't, the doctors don't always, depending on where you work. And then I, I think what what happened was when speech therapists don't realize that other speech therapists are reading their reports and it really, really, really makes a huge impact because we were having to like redo modifieds mm-hmm. um, because of some basic practices like not giving thin liquids at, at all during the procedure and things like that. So my idea was for us to get along and have a conversation about some of the differences. And I got a, I got a lot of positive feedback. So we have probably like either like five to seven facilities like in our area, 90% when I would call them on the phone, because I was like, I don't want to do this via email Somebody's feelings are going to get hurt because yeah. they're going to read things the wrong way. 90% of the facilities were like, holy cow, we all need ed- education on how to do modifieds better, write the reports better. Like, let's do this. This would be fantastic. But not everybody was excited about it. So, and we can kind of talk about that later. Like my, my view of like how you kind of like fight, fight through that, but it ended up being Amazing because I didn't give up. So we kind of got, got past that friction. I have a great leader who was, you know, telling me thing, you know, to stick with it. So we worked past it and now we are not only going to meet once or twice about a modified barium swallow study education, but we're actually starting a um, SLP council. So we're going to meet as speech therapists and we now have like leaders involved, which I think was a like a, a missing part that we really did need, like more actual leadership to be present and guide us and make sure that everybody's playing nice and all those things. And we will meet either once a month or quarterly and tackle a topic of choice. So the, the first one will be modified BRM swallow studies and the actual procedures. Then we'll go into report writing. And then after that's done, we'll get a, a topic idea from an, another speech therapist and they'll handle that, that, that one. So it, it really, it was, it's great because it really did turn into what I would have originally loved to do. But being the staff speech therapist in a teeny tiny hospital, I just, I didn't have that ability. So it really morphed into something awesome um, with, with that I'm 
I'm really proud of. And it's so funny because, you know, I, I was saying that, you know, not everybody was happy and, you know, there's friction and things, but I was listening to your podcast about implementation science and uh, it was like right as things were kind of getting like, oh, like, don't even want to fight this battle. And um, the implementation science podcast came on and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. I'm going to like dig into this completely and now geek out over that, good. too. So thank oh, you I for love that. that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what what specific goals do you have for the SLP Council? Um. So. One of the best things, one of the, the main like whys is that evidence-based practice has changed dramatically. So our goal in like thinking about that is to like maintain the speech therapist autonomy. So we don't want to like go in and say that like you have to practice the this way and this is what I say and follow these steps. Um, but we really want to implement um, guidelines and less of like rigorous actual like strict protocols because we do want each speech therapist at their own facility to be able to make changes as needed because if you've worked in more than one place you know that every facility is different and there's challenges and all those things right so um maintaining the autonomy of the speech therapist is a big one um and then also just creating a foundation for education because that was one one of the things that really shocked me when I did get a little bit of pushback is I was just like this is just education that that's all that this is this is like a geeky speech therapist who has done all the research and is willing to hand it to you on a silver platter and like getting pushback from that was like shocking to me. Um, but I think that I needed to take a step back and just realize that we, we really needed that foundation for like, how do we educate and like, how do we go about starting that, that, that process? And then the other big, big like why was multiple facilities. They have, you know, lots of different practices and views. So we, our goal is to improve the consistency of care, right? We, we have patients that work their way through the system, right? If you're from a small town, you might end up in the, in the big hospital in the bigger city, but then end up like trickling down to subacute rehab and you know, things like, like that. I stutter, by the way, obviously, even though I'm a speech that's therapist, okay. uh, that's actually part of how I got into this field. But when I get nervous, it comes out. So, so the improving the consistency of care and then also implementing the gold standard pra- practices to improve both efficacy and efficiency. So one of the things that I learned, especially in asking all of your awesome members on the like Facebook group was that like once they implemented modified barium swallow study, like procedures and protocols that the system itself or the, the procedure itself really went so much more smoothly. And so that was my goal too, is to like just have or our, our goal to have people realize that we're not really giving them a step list of like, you have to do step one, two, three, four. But if you come up with a procedure, it's a guideline. And then hopefully 
You'll actually become more efficient, which saves time, which makes your bosses happy and you happy and all of those things. So not just like evidence-based work, but also to use our time more wisely. And they're absolutely right because once I started implementing it here where I am, it was like I was so much less stressed during the procedures because I didn't have to think about, well, what do I do next? And like, do I test this? Do I not? Like it all just came much more clearly because I had a procedure that, that I followed. Yeah. So that was a big goal. And then one of personally my biggest ones, and I don't, I've heard you use this, this term before. So I don't know if you're the one that planted this seed in my head or not. But one of the biggest things that I noticed as I went to the the different facilities is that we have all these speech therapists on different islands, right? So that like island mentality. And it was crazy because some therapists wanted to be on their island, which I guess I'm not an islander. Like I want everybody to come together. And it it was just very odd that you had these facilities with really good therapists that were doing like really good stuff, but they were on their own island and they wanted to be there. I was like, no, no, no. You need to share this wonderfulness that's inside of your brain with all these other people. And then you had other facilities like myself and another one where there's literally just one speech therapist in the whole hospital. And we're just begging for anybody to to just be like, look, this is a weird case. Like, tell me what you think. Do you know what this is? So that whole island mentality is something that I really hope we can kind of get over um, through the the council in general. I, I, I just don't think it's healthy. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because we literally, I was just talking about this um, at the hospital that I PRN at yesterday. There was four of us in the office and two of us, this is our first time working as a team. Two of us have never, we've always been the only SLP. And the other two SLPs have only ever worked on teams. So it was really funny because the two of us that have always been on our own island, like, I was like, look, I'm sorry if I'm selfish sometimes. Like, I've never had a team around me. Like, I've always had to make decisions by myself. And and the other SLP was like, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm just wandering off doing my own thing. Like, I've never been able to rely on somebody else. So I think it's, you know, it's interesting. It's just what you're used to. And then it's also learning how to play in the sandbox, I think. Like... It's, I don't know that it's like an ego yeah. thing as much as it's just like, well, this is weird. Like, how do we all, I guess it's sort of like sending your kid to the school for the first time. You know, they're used to playing by themselves and now they're like, wait, what do I, what do I do with all these other kids? What like, do I do now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think that like, because I've worked in so many different places with, you know, both by myself and as a group that like personally, I've found that like I have grown the most when I had many yeah, minds yeah. around me, like not just speech ther- ther- therapists, but like OTs and, and PTs too. So I think that's what also just like draws me personally towards that like non-Islander yeah, sort yeah, of mentality yeah. that I, I, I just kind of like crave it. But yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the other people, like you were saying, like it's, it's not like, they're being selfish or they like are like hoarding all of their knowledge and and they don't want to share it. It's kind of just how things are. But yeah, so that, and then 
The last probably most important goal is encouraging unbiased analysis of practices within and between facilities. So I think that was like a one of the a big, big thing that I noticed is is that kind of like getting stuck in this is how we do things. So this is how we do things and being open to hearing like, well, I've heard that this might work better. And, you know, and that, that, that doesn't mean that you have to listen to that person, but a, a closed mind is a dangerous mind. So at, at least having some so, sort of a platform to be able to share ideas so that we can analyze ourselves, but also analyze each other. And that doesn't mean that I want to go around wagging my finger at people because that's not what I want. Like I want desperately for somebody to come with me and be like, Nikki, you could do this better Um, because that's how I learn. And that's, that's probably why I, I prefer to have a team too, because I, I like people to tell me, yeah, you could be doing it like this. And then, yeah. you know, I get to yeah. make the choice. I, I love what you said about, you know, you sometimes forget when you're writing that other SLPs read the report. And it's interesting. I was writing a report yesterday and, and the other SLP said to me, like, you know, word this differently because think about it as being the treating SLP reading. And I was like, oh my gosh, duh. Like I was that SLP reading those reports for so long. And I did, I did the same exactly what you said. Like I was typing it like nobody will ever, I don't know why we think that way. Like nobody will ever read this, but then I also very much know, like, no, another SLP is waiting, like with bated breath to get this report. Like I need to explain it. But I think it's like, I think like as human beings, we're just like drawn to, I I hate to say drawn to the negative, but like, it's kind of what our brains do. Like rather than thinking like, Oh, another speech therapist is going to read this in two months. Like we just think like, uh, like I'm doing all this work and like nobody's ever going to read it. And like, that's just what our brains do, unfortunately. And so it's like one of those things I have to constantly remind myself and I kind of have tricks for that. Um, just because I've been in this field for so long that I've learned that like I have to do certain things or I fall back in to those habits because it's so easy. It's so easy just to fall back into them. But yeah. Oh, I love this. Awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, let's try to switch gears a little bit. I do want to hear about the turning points that you had at your, was it your last hospital center or IPR that you were at? Oh my gosh. There's so many turning points. So the biggest turning point that I had was not where I am now, um, but at another facility and I was, I was getting bored and I just, one day I recognized that like, I am the problem, right? Like these patients coming to me with these amazingly cool brain injuries and strokes and like all these things and my goals being the same for all these patients, like that's my fault. And so I, you know, and then dysphagia therapy, I used to hate it. I hated it because I was watching people eat. Like I was guilty of all the things that you've taught me since 2017 before then, right? I was just watching people eat and, you know, testing thickened liquids at, at bedside. And I, I didn't feel like valued. So I just, I was working at a hospital that was great for allowing us to get CEUs. I mean, I traveled the country just getting educated and it was 
amazing. So like, I just have realized that when all my goals start to look the same, when I am getting bored, when I feel like I'm doing the same task with multiple uh, patients, I need to look inside myself because there's nobody doing that except for me. And so what works for me is education and just like diving into that. And so I quickly learned that dysphagia is like my most favorite thing because I just, I, I didn't know enough about it and that's why I didn't like it. I love what you just said because I feel like that's exactly how it all happened for me too. And, and that's why this podcast started. That's why the collective started. It was like, I, I was bored and I, and I looked inward and realized like I'm bored because I'm not getting the results for my patients that I want. And I know it's because I know that there's more information out there and more education out there that I just haven't learned yet. And so for me, you know, and that's something that I tell people that are, that are sort of feeling burnt out with this field or maybe not happy and, in their job or their position, you know, it, it may very well be that specific facility or that position, but it may also be something that you can control, you know, go learn some new techniques, go learn some new education, see if there's something that you can add to your skill set that will provide more fulfillment for you because you will be able to have more tools in your toolbox to help your patients. And I just think that's something that's not talked about enough, you know, and I'm not downplaying burnout yeah. at all. It's, it's so very real, but I think there's other things right. that that we can do to try to help combat that from our end too. Yeah, absolutely. Because like once once you get good at something, like once you feel confident in what you're doing, and I think that that's a lot a lot of where the boredom is coming from. Like you're saying, because you know we're just like, oh, well, I guess I'm gonna you know watch them swallow. I guess I'm gonna just you know give them a puzzle for cognitive therapy. Don't even get me yeah. started on that. But um. But right. And then when you dig into it, you're like, holy cow, like this is why I have a master's, right? It doesn't take a a master's to watch somebody eat food. And like, that was one of the things I remember sitting at Methodist and like one of the CNAs said something like, oh, you're going to watch Mr. So-and-so eat. And it was like a lightning, you know, it was like, you're right. I am watching him eat. Like I am a master's. Why am I watching him eat? Right. And then came the education and this is years, right? So like, I can't say that. And and I think you're really good about that too, is like, this doesn't just happen overnight where you like go take a course and then, then you're like, yay, speech therapy, you know, like it's, it's years of like winning and then winning again and learning and then winning again and, and like seeing that your new type of therapy is effective and then you want to go to work to fix people. Right. Yeah. Cause burnout is real. I mean, it's yes. I burned out at my first job. Um, that's why I left. I remember just being like over, I think I was also a new therapist on a brain injury unit, a TBI unit kind of got the best of me. Uh, therapists like have to recognize when education won't fix it. Right. So when it is like time to move on, like when it is time to try somewhere else, like if, if you're in a nursing home and it sucks, go somewhere else. Or if, if, if you're in acute care and you're miserable and you don't think that education is going to help you, then go try a, a, a different setting because you never know. Yep. Yep. 
think that's one thing too, especially in the sniff world. Like I just tell people all the time, there's absolutely horrific, horrible, awful sniffs that I would never want any of my family members to be in. And then there's yeah. absolutely beautiful, completely patient driven sniffs that I would put a family member in in a heartbeat. And I, I just tell people, if you're in one of these horrible ones, like, please don't just say sniffs are horrible because you got one of the bad apples, but I promise there are good apples out there too. And I think it yeah. probably is 50-50. I wish it was way lower of the bad apples, but it stinks, you know, but um, they're really, I, I'm just so passionate about the sniff setting. I just love it, but it's because I've worked in really good ones and I, and I see how they truly should be operated when it is patient-centered and it is patient-driven. Yeah, I know down here, like I've worked in probably 25 over the last like 12 years and unfortunately, like I would put a family member in one yeah. out of the 25. Yeah. Like it's just, but I, I think it's geographics too. It's like where you are. And I, I was in a lot of really, really poor sniffs. And that was a part of that. Like one of the jobs that I left, I actually ended up going full-time at a sniff and I was, you know, educating and like doing all the things, but like, I still felt burnt out. And like, that was one of those moments where I was just like, I have to get out of here. Like, this is, there's, there's no amount of education that's going to fix like the ethical problem that's happening. So I just left. It was a great paycheck too, but all in all, I'm glad that I left. (laughs) It was a great, you know, self-awareness skills to have too. I think it's hard to sort of objectively look at that situation, you know, like, am I just bored? Am I miserable? You know, what is causing me to feel this way? And it's, it's tough to sometimes see the bigger picture and figure out what exactly is causing this feeling. So. Yeah. And that kind of brings me like to one of the other topics that we had talked, talked about just like that sort of self-awareness and the resilience factor. And like, one of the big things for me has also been to like find my people. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm in a facility where I feel like I'm getting eaten alive, but there's like one person that has my same ethical standards or nerdiness factor or whatever, like concentrating on those people and like recognizing that like those are the opinions that matter and, you know, leaving everything else at its wayside, but like being able to kind of step back and recognizing like, who are your people, you know, who's fighting you? Why are they fighting you? And are you fighting them? Right. Like that, that, that same sort of like internal conversation and then sticking to your people when you find them, lean on them, you know, I think as speech therapists, sometimes we're really like we we have that like perfectionism sort of OCD personalities, but we're not always great at saying like, I need some help and this is not okay. And I need a friend and a coworker and a break and a vacation, you know, and kind of like stepping back from that perfectionist side that so many of us have, which is so weird, right? Yeah, yeah. I love to your point about leaning on your friends, because I think that's sort of a big way to get, to gain self-awareness is sort of the reflection yes. you get from those interactions. Because I think, you know, I've, I've thrown out situations like, hey, guys, this is what's going on with this doctor or this administrator. What do you think? And, and sometimes they'll say, oh, well, that person's a jerk, like find another right. facility. Or they may say, hey consider bringing up these talking points like that might change their mind. And, and that's important to know sort of 
when to lean in, push the envelope, advocate versus just say, this is not going to end well and, and your leave. And, and I think sometimes having that group of friends and that group of colleagues to bounce those things off of can be so helpful and so powerful. For sure. Yeah. I tend to be like a little too okay with confrontation. Like, um, but I know that about myself. So like I've learned only over many, many years. So I don't want any new speech therapists like think that this is just like naturally happening that like before I do anything like that may be of conflict, I stop. And I think, and, you know, especially with this MBS initiative that we did, I actually had coworkers that I really trust proofread emails, you know, because like, it's like, I might think that I'm being nice, but my tone might be coming off in a different way that I'm not expecting, you know, our perspective is just so telling. Um, but yeah, so re- recognizing that and leaning on your coworker, I mean, my coworkers here are amazing. And I mean, I've had them read emails and tell me like, go take a walk, (laughs) you know, and signal during family meetings, like tone it down, make you get a little too excited. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Lean on those. I have so many thoughts going through my head, but I I won't. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. All right. Let's, um, any more turning points, Nikki? Did we cover those? Uh, I mean, there really are like a billion, um, that just, and I'll tell you though, any turning point that I've had now, the collective has like just helped me so much because if I find myself like frustrated or like bored, I just kind of go on your website and I'm like, all right, well, maybe they have something for, for, for this. And it just like, it gets things going. Right. Um, so thank you for that for sure. I know that's, you know, the power of the collective is just so many brains that have sort of been out there and have experienced these things and, it's just connecting everybody together so that we aren't on yes. our, you know, own little islands. Yes. I love this conversation so much, Nikki. This was so wonderful and valuable and, and helpful. And I hope people liked our sort of off the cuff tips. <laughs> I know, right? I'm sorry. I feel like I could just like talk. I feel like we should have a glass of wine. I would love because that. Yes. Get out of hand. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> All right. Any, any final thoughts for the people while we get a glass of wine here? Um, just. Don't give up, you know, like if you see that change is possible and some friction is happening and not everybody is loving what you're saying, like if you know that it's evidence-based, if you know that ethically what you're doing is right, fight. Mm -hmm. Because like no matter what, in the end, it's 100% worth it. You know, it's 100% worth it for your patients. It's 100% worth it for your coworkers, for like all of it. So, I mean, I guess that's really the main lesson that I've learned out of the initiative is just like stick to your guns, play nice, include everybody, recognize your own faults, right? Like recognize when I need to kind of step back and then make change because there's a lot of change that needs to happen in our field. And I think that we can do it. You know, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. This was wonderful. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 
or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.